Hi, Joyful Health friends. We are so excited to bring you this episode from Emily Fonsbeck, registered dietitian and co-founder of Eat Confident Co., where she answers this question, how do I eat intuitively with food sensitivities? So go ahead and download the episode so you can listen at any time without interruptions. In this episode, Emily discusses the difference between allergies and sensitivities, and if you'd like to document your own intuitive health journey after this episode without weight loss language or calorie tracking, we highly encourage you to get our body blessings journal at joyfulhealth.co so you can gain more clarity alongside intentional prayer to allow God to continue guiding your journey. So plug in those headphones and enjoy the show. Hey friends, welcome to the Joyful Health Show. I'm Aubrey, registered dietitian. And I'm Casey, personal trainer. And together we're here to help you discover joyful health by grace. Hi, guys, and welcome to this week's episode of the Joyful Health Show. We have the honor of interviewing Emily Fonsbeck today. Um, Emily is a registered dietitian who we are going to be talking to about um, a common question we get, which is, can I or how do I eat intuitively if I think I have food sensitivities? Um, So we're so excited to have Emily here. Welcome, Emily. Thank you for having me. It's great to be here. Yeah. Okay. So listeners, Emily Fonspeck, she is a registered dietitian. She owns her own private practice in Hyde Park, Utah. She works with both local and virtual clients. So Emily's treatment focuses on eating disorders, disordered eating and body image concern concerns, and she uses intuitive eating and weight neutral approach. Emily is the co-founder of Eat Confident Co., which offers group coaching programs for women struggling with disordered eating and negative body image, and she co-hosts the Eat With Confidence podcast. So, Emily, can you share a little bit how you got to this place? What was your maybe personal struggle or maybe career struggle with this topic, Um how God met you in the middle of it, and then what you teach now as a result. Yeah, thank you for asking. This is a fun topic to explore. Um, Specifically on this topic of elimination diets, I have a lot of personal experience with that, specifically how it led to my own um, kind of flawed relationship with food. So I would say that um, it started after the birth of my first child. He's now 16, so this was 16 years ago. And I felt a lot of the cultural pressure that most women feel postpartum to, you know, I don't know, quote unquote, clean up their diet or, or work on their, you know, fixing their body. And I, I definitely felt that and fell prey to that pressure and engaged in, I would say, a lot of under eating and over exercising, um, which I think is actually pretty culturally normal. And so I would call it a dysfunction, a functionally dysfunctional relationship with food. Meaning, you know, a lot of people walk around with that being the relationship with food that they have and and really seeing it as somewhat normal. And I definitely did. I felt like this was just, you know, something I needed to do. It was the responsible thing to do. It was what I was doing for my health. And the, the, um, time that I spent in that 
dysfunctional relationship with food and exercise started to take a toll on my physical health. So I started noticing a lot of side effects of under eating and over exercising that I ascribed to not eating perfectly enough. I, I, I called it inflammation and it was something that food was causing. And so I just needed to figure out what I needed to cut out or how I could eat more perfectly. And then I'd feel better. And this is what started me down the rabbit hole of elimination diets, specifically food sensitivity testing and the elimination diets that followed. And it became a really quick rabbit hole for me um, where I got to a really, really bad place with food, was not eating very many foods at all, had eliminated most of them from um, my diet and, and, and found myself just really questioning a lot of things. I love this question. I've never been asked this before, how God met me in that. I've never, no one's ever asked me this. So I'm really happy to share. I, I, and I've, I've been pondering this over the last few days and I, I could share so much. I, looking back hindsight, I could say that God was with me every step of the way, but I would say the most significant experience was one evening. My family um, had gone over to my parents' house for dinner And this wasn't new. We usually would do Sunday dinners with my family um, pretty frequently. And most of the time I just wouldn't eat. So I I walked in and I told my mom, I'm not eating. I'm, you know, not feeling well. Or I made up some excuse like why I wasn't eating. And, And I remember sitting at the dinner table watching everyone eat this meal that my mom had lovingly prepared for our family. And I feel like God kind of opened my eyes in that moment to help me really see the situation for what it is. And I I found myself seeing my mom and her cooking the way that God saw her, that her and her cooking. And I say that because, you know, she was, she, she was such a good cook and I, and I, um, but she cooked with a lot of things that my eating disorder at the time was not comfortable with, right? Like cream of chicken soup and cheese and sour cream and white rice and all the things. And, and so I was watching everyone eating and, I thought to myself, if, if Jesus Christ walked in this room right now, he would accept my mom's offering. Mm. He would be so glad to sit in this table and eat whatever she had prepared. And, you know, I am a Christian as you are, and I'm sure many of your listeners are. And as a Christian, I really try my hardest to do what Jesus Christ would do, right? To let him really guide my decisions. I'm very imperfect at that, but I I recognized in that moment just how much this disordered eating and the way that I was viewing food and the relationship I had with food was absolutely impacting my deepest values. And I wasn't able to really connect with my family um, over a meal because Mm -hmm. of that. And I started to recognize the discrepancy between how I was behaving and what I really wanted for myself. And that was a big pivotal turning point. I won't say that there wasn't a lot of other rock bottom moments and and situations where I had to see things differently, but um, I appreciate being able to share that story. It's not one I've really shared much and it was um, really special to me. Yeah. I love hearing that. And so when you say that you went like during that dinner that God showed you, your mom and this new light, was that prompted by a certain prayer or maybe like a turn of events? Like you had come to a certain point in your journey with eating or was it any specific thing you think that like allowed you to see your mom that way? Really good question. Um, I don't know if I can remember 
specifically a prayer that I had offered or a situation that had made me, you know, think differently. But I do know that I had a lot of people praying for me. Mm. My husband, my mom, my parents knew that I was really struggling. And I think that um, if, you know, thinking back, I would probably say that it was their prayers that blessed me, that allowed God to, to bless me in that way. I luckily had a good support system. I I don't know that I would have sought that out, right? I wouldn't have necessarily asked for that, but I had people asking that for me, which I, yeah, I I can think back and probably pinpoint it there. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah. Wow. Um, I know that it's just like such a, it's such a cool hindsight's 2020, right? Like when you're in the midst of that struggle, you can feel like, okay, God's not with me at all. Like, where is he? Why is he not answering this problem of these symptoms that I'm having that I just want to go away? Um, and I think I know for myself, even like wanting to have a perfect body, why isn't God just like giving me this perfect body so I can stop, you know, I can stop freaking out about it. And it's like, he's so gracious. He gives us what we need. Um, and I'm just really reminded of that in your story of like, Hey, I, I want to give you something way better and I want to use it. I know having watched your career, use it to impact, um, many, many, many more lives. Um, and so I know I was inspired by your story, listening to you talk about, orthorexia, and maybe that's a new term for people who are listening to um, this podcast, but not even knowing that it was a thing that you could become disordered from trying your hardest to eat healthy and to um, eat clean or eat perfect. So thank you for sharing that story. Um, I would love for you to kind of elaborate on um, what are those symptoms that you were feeling at the beginning when you were restricting that made you think, oh, maybe I need to eliminate some more things. Cause I think that's, um, something that people, they go to elimination diets first. Um, and they maybe don't realize what are symptoms of restriction and over-exercising. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great question. So for me personally, I noticed a lot of digestive symptoms and that's to be expected, right? When we are um, not feeding our bodies adequately. It's, it's really hard for digestion to function, uh, in most effectively. So digestively, I was noticing a lot of symptoms and also, you know, we recognize that the culture at large would definitely say that those digestive symptoms were, you know, a problem of not eating the right foods. That's usually the message that we get. So it was very easy for me to believe that. But digestive symptoms was a big one. Definitely some brain fog. So feeling really like foggy headed, just not clear minded. Um, Again, my brain just probably needed glucose. (laughs) Um, And also a lot of fatigue, just headaches and fatigue and just feeling really run down. Um, And again, I, I called it inflammation, which I clearly in hindsight was me just not eating enough. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Oh man. man. Casey, are you going to say something? (laughs) Yeah. Because I have a similar story with trying to heal my autoimmune disease with elimination diets and basically feeling more stressed after those and having a much unhealthier relationship with food after. And so if the food, like you said, maybe didn't help clear up those symptoms. Was there something else that you found that did or 
yeah, t- maybe tell us about that because, you know, we go to these things because we think that, you know, we, we go to these things because we think that they'll bring us joy. And so that's the point of elimination diets. Like, well, if I eliminate this and I'll feel better and we have that will to do it because we want to feel better. So what was it for you that helped you feel better? Yeah. So speaking of orthorexia, which to explain for listeners who aren't familiar, orthorexia is you know directly translated just obsession with perfect eating. And so that's what I found myself in. Uh, my, my personality would definitely predispose me for developing something like that. Um, I'm very driven. And if there's a better way of doing something, I, I don't, I'm not afraid of hard work. And so what happened was one evening, my husband and I were planning a trip, um, with our family. And I started getting really anxious about this trip because I felt like I had to pack all my own food because when you've eliminated so many foods, it's very difficult to travel and eat out and be social and, and um, just kind of take life as it comes. It was pretty impossible at that point. So I was getting anxious just thinking about going and leaving and having to pack all my own food and worrying about that. And so I said to him, I don't even know if I want to go. I think we should just cancel the trip. Hmm. And he said, Emily, this is not you. I'm not talking to you right now. I don't know who I'm talking to. This is not what you want. And he pulled out this article that he'd found on orthorexia. Wasn't the first time I'd heard that term. I just didn't really feel like it applied to me because it, it didn't, right? It was just me needing to figure out my digestive issues. I was doing the right thing. I wasn't, it wasn't a disordered thing, right? It wasn't an eating disorder, but he produced this, this article on orthorexia. And he said, I think you should read this. I think it just describes you to a T. So I read it and I think I was at a point to want something different for myself. I didn't want to keep doing it. I felt compelled to keep doing what I was doing. I felt like I had to keep doing what I was doing. There was no other option, but reading this article helped me kind of see that there was maybe another side of the story that I didn't know. And that maybe just maybe I could approach this in a different way and find a a better solution. Cause I wasn't feeling better. I was eliminating a lot of foods and I wasn't feeling any better Mm -hmm. and I wanted to, and I wanted something different for myself. And so it was at that time that I really, really, um, decided to approach the situation differently. I reached out to a therapist in hindsight. I really probably could have used a dietitian that was trained in eating disorders. I had a lot of shame about that though, as a, as a practicing dietitian, not really wanting to admit that I struggled with food to another dietitian. So I didn't. I I worked with a therapist, um, which was incredibly helpful and over time was able to change my mindset about food. Now, clearly, because this is the point of the the podcast, um, my faith was a huge part of that. I really do believe that I'm here for more than just obsessing about food. And so opening my mind to a new way of thinking about food felt very Um, relevant to like how I believed and and what I wanted for myself in life and what I really felt like I was here to do or here to be. And I I wanted to be able to travel with my family. I wanted to be able to go on a trip and, and enjoy time with my husband and kids and not be stressed out about food. So I think the combination of a good support system, a therapist, wanting something different for myself and just being ready to admit that I had a problem and needed help and needed a different solution. Um, 
I was ready to commit to that. I think this also speaks to my personality. I'm kind of like, well, if this is what I'm doing, I'm going to do it, you know? So (laughs) I I didn't really waffle too much once I made up my mind to approach it that way. Um, And ultimately working to create an all foods fit mentality and really challenging the idea that I needed to eliminate anything was ultimately what helped me feel better physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, socially, in every area of my life. Um, an intuitive eating approach and all foods fit mentality was the thing that really changed uh, me for the better. Um, I know we, I know if you have, um, not really listened to anything about intuitive eating at this point and you hear all foods fit, um, that can just like buzzers going off in your mind, like, okay, that might be for somebody else, but that's not for me. I would lose control around eating. Um, and I would feel so terrible. Let's say someone is listening to this and they are having some of those digestive symptoms, um, and they fear that they're just going to eat all of their quote trigger foods until they feel get sick and, and die. I don't know the worst fear, right? Um, how would you explain just for the very newbie, um, what really happens when we give ourselves permission to eat all foods, um, as far as kind of that pendulum swing, if you know what I'm talking about, when we, when we sort of come back in, um, find like some peace around eating our fear foods and eating those trigger foods. Yeah. Yeah. You're so right. All foods fit. No one wants to hear that. I didn't want to hear it at first. And usually, honestly, it's like all foods fit, but dot, 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 you know, usually people follow that up with like a disclaimer and, and that actually really bothered me at the time that I was struggling. Cause I really wanted to believe that I could just move around in the world and not have to be concerned about food and how, what food was going to do to me. And so I didn't really like the disclaimer. And so when I say all foods fit, I mean it, I mean all foods fit. So if any listeners are like, but where's the, but when's I'm waiting for the other shoe to drop, what all foods fit, but not this one or mm-hmm. only if this. And so when we say all foods fit, we mean it. And And why that's important is because um, uh, food habituation studies is the research that supports unconditional permission to eat uh, or this all foods fit mentality. And what we know about that is the the less often we see a food, the more our brain fixates on it. But the opposite is also true. Um, The more often we see food, the less our brain fixates on it. And so the more permission and access we have, ongoing, reliable access to foods that we enjoy, we actually can just settle right down. We can just, our minds settle down, our bodies settle down, our impulses, our reactions, our um, natural like knee-jerk reactions around food that scare people when they think of all foods fit. Those actually settle down. When we know that food will be there, when we aren't in this scarcity mindset, when we know that we're going to have access and permission to have it, we we find that we can settle into a groove with nutrition, a middle ground away from those extremes of restriction or chaos or back and forth. And I get the, the, I get the concern, right? I get this, the fear because the only, usually people have only related to foods in extreme ways. And so they hear all foods fit and they think of chaos, right? 
And so they think the restriction has to be the answer because the only other answer is chaos. But there's actually this beautiful middle ground in between both of those where you can have structure and flexibility. You can have predictability and permission. You, there, you can actually bring what you love about both of those extremes to the middle and combine them to something that's just really supportive and healthy and life-giving so that you're not um, just constantly at war, you know? Hmm. Yeah. And I think you answered this really well because the main question is, if I have a food sensitivity, how do I eat intuitively? So for the people who, like for myself, for example, I have gone to different allergists and different foods pop up on like the allergy testing. And so, and I do realize that now after eating intuitively as far as listening to my body, kind of figuring out how do I feel after this? You know, that some foods um, aren't great for a season. So how would you answer that question? If someone is like, I, when I eat this food, I feel sensitive to it because I feel awful in this certain way. So how does that food still fit? Um, What does that mean for eating intuitively? I appreciate this question and it might be helpful to dive into a little bit of this, the science behind allergies versus sensitivities versus intolerance, which I'd be happy to do mm-hmm. nerd out a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Here. Um, I will say before I say that, I before we get into that, I will say that I, I know that I shared my story and clearly that's not everyone's story, right? My experience with elimination diets wasn't really rooted in actual allergies. It was perceived intolerances or sensitivities or allergies due to um, a a dysfunctional relationship with food, which I think is very common for Mm -hmm. sure, but maybe not everyone's story. So there is a difference between an allergy, a sensitivity, and an intolerance. So we know that there's a lot of, there there is a great validated um, tool for identifying food allergies, right? You can go to an allergist, like you mentioned, and you can have allergy screenings, whether it's a skin prick test or a blood draw. And and what they're testing for in those tests is an IgE-mediated response, which IgE is just an immune antibody that attacks an antigen. In this case, it would be an allergen, but maybe a virus or a bacteria, that's an antibody. And then the immune system produces these in response to something that foreign that comes into the body. Um, so when I think this is important to share because proper treatment depends on proper diagnosis, mm-hmm. right? And without proper uh, without proper diagnosis, we're just throwing spaghetti at the wall. So mm-hmm. it's really important to identify what exactly we're testing for and how accurate those tests are. Food allergy tests are medically recognized. We know that they're accurate. We know that they're going to sleuth out exactly what they need to sleuth out. The IgE-mediated response is very measurable, which is awesome. And then you have um, food intolerances, um, which are not immune mediated. So the good example of this would be lactose intolerance, for example. So you lack the enzyme to break down lactose. That's an intolerance. It has nothing to do with the immune system. Mm-hmm. Some people could have that in relationship to maybe some reflux. I mean, there could be digestive symptoms that we need to identify an intolerance for, but it's not done through a food allergy test or a food sensitivity test. And then you have food sensitivities which is kind of a new term and 
in all honesty, we don't have a great diagnostic tool for food sensitivities. I'm not saying food sensitivities don't exist, but what I am saying is that proper treatment depends on proper diagnosis, right? So what happens in food sensitivity testing is they're testing an IgG-mediated response. And IgG is actually um, correlated with exposure to that food, not saying that because there's been an IgG-mediated response by the immune system that you have an actual problem with that food. And this is why a lot of times food sensitivity tests are called glorified food journals because essentially you're getting a list of foods that you commonly eat because that's the immune system's job. Every time you eat something, your immune system's going to check it out. You're going to have an immune response when you eat something because it's something foreign coming into your body. And so the immune system is going to, to go for it and it's going to figure out if it's okay or not. Just because the immune system is responding doesn't mean you're actually, it's creating symptoms like digestive symptoms or, or, um, allergies or, you know, uh, like, a, like sinus issues or itching or any other ways that they might show up. You're just testing exposure. So what happens is you get this food sensitivity test back, right? And you look at it and you're like, oh my gosh, no wonder I feel horrible. I'm eating all of these foods. If I, I mean, imagine getting that and, and being like, this is my answer. Of course, this is my answer. If I cut all these foods and I've got to feel better because that's all I'm eating. And then of course they, they engage in that elimination diet, um, and I will say, I think elimination diets actually do make people feel better for a time. And I think that there's uh, a bit of a phenomenon in that um, someone might be more intentional or aware or mindful of their eating patterns. They might pause to check in, it's essentially practicing a little bit more of intuitive eating and they feel better. But in my personal and clinical experience, the, the, the benefits of an elimination diet are pretty short-lived and those symptoms return. But if you've really bought into this mindset of this is this, this food sensitivity test said that I had this problem with it, you're going to want to continue to eliminate those foods and then find more to eliminate. It must be that I'm now eating something that I'm now sensitive to. So I just need to find more to eliminate. And therein lies the very slippery slope into an incredibly dysfunctional relationship with food, not to mention inadequate nutrition patterns, really running the risk for not getting your nutritional needs met because you're just cutting out more and more and more foods. So we need better testing for food sensitivities, but at the same time, I do want to say that I think a lot of times what we ident what we, what we see as food sensitivities may just be um, that yeah sure maybe the digestive tract can't handle that food, but maybe what we do is support the digestive tract in being able to handle the food rather than the eliminate the diet or eliminate the food that we feel like we can't eat mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Uh, yes. I'm so glad you went into the IgG because it's hard to <laughs> explain that. And you did such a good job because you're right. It's like, we'll see all of the foods that we eat and then we have to eliminate all of the foods that we eat and what's left to eat. And you're right. It goes into a crazy slippery slope where there's nothing available for us to eat. Um, I would love for you to just talk about a few of those key ways, um, very basic, that we can get started just supporting our digestive tract. So positive nutrition as a, and lifestyle, um, as opposed to eliminating. So someone who maybe is experiencing symptoms um, and wants to choose that route instead of another elimination diet. Yeah, I love this question. So what... 
and I guess I'm speaking specifically to digestion. Clearly, you know, someone's food sensitivity symptoms might be showing up in other ways. Um, I don't think it's unrelated though. So I think don't, don't tune us out if you're not feeling like your, your food sensitivities, quote unquote, are showing up digestively. I think that a lot of this could still apply. Um, especially just because nutrition impacts us globally, right? Systemically, not just in the digestive tract. And one of the, there's two really, really fundamental ways to support digestion and elimination diets ignore both of those. So it's this, it's a great paradox, right? That we know how to support digestion and elimination diets do the exact opposite. So the best two ways, and really I say fundamentally, because if you're not doing these two things, no supplement you take will help. No no food restrictions will help. If you aren't doing these two fundamental things, nothing else is really going to help. So fundamentally, first, you you need to be eating enough food at rhythmic and predictable intervals throughout the day. So enough food often enough. So I will just kind of throw out some ballpark numbers. I mean, this really is meant to be adaptable and flexible. It's not meant to feel rigid, but the idea would be that, you know, a meal that's maybe composed of three to five food groups, you could expect to last you maybe three to four hours. And so if, if breakfast is at eight in the morning and you've had a well-rounded substantial breakfast, you could imagine, you could anticipate that lasting you till 11, maybe 12, 12 would probably be pushing it. And in which case you'd either want to have lunch or a snack. If lunch is going to be later, like closer to one, you definitely want to have a snack and the snack would maybe last you an hour or two at the very most. And so just, especially if it's having a couple food groups, which I'd recommend. So when you think about just some basic, what I would call a flexible structure, I call this a flexible structure with food where you can anticipate your needs ahead of time and, and create predictable and rhythmic patterns where you're eating enough food often enough, that right there will probably change your life. <laughs> Not just your digestion, your life. Um, and it, that, this goes so counter to what we hear in popular nutrition culture right now, right? That, you know, you should probably intermittent fast or you should skip this meal. Or, and that's not going to be what we fundamentally want to work on. So making sure we're eating enough food often enough is one. And then second, eating a variety of foods. The best way to support your digestion is to have a healthy gut bacteria and healthy gut motility. And the thing that will help that the most is a variety of foods. So you have a variety of gut bacteria to help break down food and to help keep your stomach or your um, intestinal lining healthy. I mean, it's just there's so many benefits to having that healthy gut bacteria. If you are taking probiotics and not eating enough variety for those probiotics to feed on, it's not going to really help. So again, elimination diets kind of go against this, right? Eat, eat less food and eat less variety. And then we, we end up in this really vicious cycle of cutting out more and more and having more and more digestive issues. And I know that this can feel really scary. I mean, I've been there, believe me, it can feel really scary to challenge that notion of, oh, I should be eating more and I should be eating more variety. But I do want you to know that physiologically, that is the answer to supporting digestion. So I, I would say those two things would be the fundamentals. And then of course, you know, as far as digestion goes, there there can be other lifestyle factors that can impact it. You know, really aiming to have some good sleep hygiene would be really helpful. 
I would say gentle exercise and movement if you're struggling with digestion. Intense exercise is going to be really counterproductive. So really trying to um, scale that back a little bit and do something that feels more gentle and supportive. I would say drinking enough water um, and actively identifying like physical, mental, or emotional stress. Um, I appreciate you bringing that up earlier, right? That elimination diets actually are really stressful and that being counterproductive to our digestive health. So hopefully that helps lay a little bit of a framework. Yeah, that's super helpful. And I'm thinking, okay, if I'm a listener and I clicked on this episode because I feel like I have a food sensitivity, but I know that this elimination diet isn't working or I know that I know the benefits of an eating intuitively. So you've given us a few steps that we can try out. And so eating enough, eating often, eating with variety, um, adding those bigger frameworks of moving gently. And as a personal trainer, I fully endorse that um, because you have to give your body some space and time to create new rhythms um, in, in moving in a way that's not going to just put your system on overdrive, you know, um, is really helpful. And so those are all the physiological ways that we can, that our, we are that our listeners can take part in. And, and I think I'm still thinking about your turning point with at your mom's house, as far as like allowing the Lord to, to, let you see a bigger perspective of like, this is not me, you know, like what is actually meaningful in my life? Um, so how did, how is God still working in your life as far as, as far as eating intuitively and it being freeing and how can you give the listener some hope or some encouragement as far as leaning into grace instead of having the pressure to eat perfectly? Isn't that so interesting, like that, that, that contrast between this desire to seek out the perfect way of eating and then this idea of grace, which do we believe? Do we believe we have to be perfect or do we believe that we can invite grace into our lives in every aspect of our lives? So I really appreciate, I mean, clearly this, the mission of the podcast, like inviting grace in and what a great example of that, right? When we are so intense, intensely fixated on perfect eating. There's no room for that. I, I really, one thing that I really love is thinking about the, the word abundance. I've always really loved, I, well, I've always loved that word. Clearly when I was in an eating disorder, I didn't love that word, but I have since grown to love that word. And I love the word abundance. And I think about that when I think about God, he's, he's abundant in his love and gifts and grace and all those things. Right. And I, I think that that is such a mindset shift for those of us who struggle with food and body image to go from this like scarcity, like I'm not good enough. I don't look good enough. Uh, my eating needs to be more perfect to, or I need to restrict foods to how can I invite abundance in? I mean, God created the earth and he gave us a lot of really great things, sugar, including sugar cane, actually, you know? <laughs> so I feel like we can take a cue from that and recognize that all foods can fit. We, there's room for all of it. It's abundance. And I, I really truly believe that it's been given to us. All these things have been given to us for nourishment and satisfaction and enjoyment. 
and for our benefit. And he trusts us to use it for those reasons. And I think it's really important for us to learn to trust ourselves when there's abundant food available to say, I know how to handle this. This is a gift and I can trust myself with it. And I know that probably listeners who are struggling with what they feel like could be food sensitivities or allergies or intolerances um, and, and feeling like, no, my really, my only answer is restriction. I've been there. I get that. And I, I guess I want to say that I, I really felt like I was limiting myself. I was not allowing for bigger and better things. And I hope this episode invites anyone listening to just make mm-hmm. some room for that. Just think about what would, what could this look like if I was able to accept and receive mm-hmm. abundance and these gifts and trust myself to know mm-hmm. how to use it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's beautiful. I, I've like thought about the scarcity abundance thing. All I think about that all the time, especially with intuitive eating. Um, and I, you know, again, hindsight's twenty twenty. You're like, how did I not see these things in the middle of my perfectionism? Um, but it's amazing how letting go of perfectionism in this area and inviting that grace and abundance in can open up other areas of your life to receive his grace into that area as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so Emily, I'm just so thankful that you took the time to talk with us about this. I think you've left um, our listeners with some beautiful um, inspiration and also wise, wise information um, about handling these issues. So Emily, I would love for you to first share um, about your community, Eat Confident Collective. um, And then if you wouldn't mind praying us out, that would be a huge honor. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so uh, I I have, as mentioned in my bio, as a second business E-Confident Co., where our signature program is E-Confident Collective, where we help women who struggle with food and body image. And obviously, doors are always open for anyone who feels like that's a good fit for them. It's a really lovely community of women who support each other. Um, it's It's been one of my favorite things I've done in my career um, and most rewarding. So, yeah, thanks for letting me share that. Mm-hmm. And I'd be happy to offer a prayer. Yeah, thank you. Our dear Heavenly Father, we're so grateful to be able to come together today and explore topics surrounding health and well-being, especially spiritual health. And I pray that listeners will be able to um, make space for these thoughts in their lives and and um, and let um, it take root in in creating maybe new. Um, patterns of thinking and behaving and and ultimately um, a a closer relationship with thee. We're grateful for all of the abundance and gifts that thou bestows upon us and help us to have the wisdom to receive it. And I say these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Yeah. Thank you so much, Emily. And so once again, you can follow her, find her, connect with her at eatconfident.co. Um, And until next time, friends, you can rest in God's grace and follow the joy. Bye. Bye.